Hi, everyone. Welcome to a brand new All Access. I'm here with our good friend, Henry Jackman. Henry, how are you doing this evening? I'm doing very well indeed. Thanks for inviting me back on your highly esteemed show. Well, thank you so much. I was just actually looking back at kind of everything that we've done over the years. And uh, do you recall what year we first uh, chatted? This is our ninth interview, by the way. <laughs> Wow, what would have been the first? It, it wasn't. Was it Kick Ass or something? Like that? Was it post Kick? I don't, I don't remember I feel the like it, film, but it, it was two thousand. Yeah, it was two thousand. Might have been ten years ago. Two thousand eleven. There you go. I was going to say ten years. I was only yeah, off by one year. Eleven years ago. That was a while ago. So it's we, we've covered a lot. So if this is your first, uh, if you're new to our channel, uh, go back and take a listen to all of our stuff with Henry. So we cover a lot of ground there. Um, but, uh, you know, I was kind of thinking about stuff that we've discussed and we've gone through all your film work and everything, but stuff that we haven't really, uh, discussed is, uh, kind of your, your old programming and producing days, you know, that's kind of where oh. you kind of, where you were grinding and, and, uh, was spectacularly unsuccessful. Well, that's not quite true. The, no, not um, at all. <laughs> no. You work with artists well, but... like Sally Oldfield, Mike Oldfield, Coolio, Connor Reeves, Michael Gordon yeah. and, and others, Seal. <laughs> almost forgotten about that well you know it's it's interesting that you um you raise that point because when i think back to those days i don't think i had a single thought it's weird because i had an extremely classical background you know yes i, I remember cathedral choir school and i had to sing you know aged eight i was singing anything and everything from plain song to 16th century polyphonic music or penderecki and all this sort of highbrow it was all incredibly highbrow <laughs> and then I started banging out like rave music and drum and bass and all this kind of thing and ended up in the record industry. And at the point when I was making records, I don't think I ever was thinking about film music. I had a classical yeah. background. Then I kind of was wandering around in a hoodie top all the time, banging out beats and whatnot. And then kind of progressed more into the sort of posher end of pop production. If you'd spoken to me then about this moment here and me in the middle of having finished Grey Man and doing what I'm doing, I think it would have come as a real shock because I think in my stupid, ignorant, um, cliched thinking, because yeah, you know, I was a lot younger and I, you know, I was pretty much too cool for school. I probably thought, oh yeah, film music, that's something that sort of old fogies do, right? It's probably a word your <laughs> listeners won't understand, but you know, like it's, it's a bit uncool, isn't it? Isn't it sort of old people, you know, blah, blah, sort of typical idiotic thing that someone in their twenties right. might think. Um, but funny enough, looking back on it, um, it was a really weirdly useful stepping stone because, I mean, I remember when I, with all this classical training I had, uh, when I kind of went off the rails, when my friend showed up with an Amiga home computer, which is a sort of English version of an Amstrad and this sort of eight bit sample and started making really primitive rave music. I'm sure my mum, slightly less my dad, it was really eclectic musically. It's like, oh my God, after, well, after all these years of sort of Chopin preludes, he's now going, eh, eh, ah, ah, oh, oh, eh, eh. you know, what a complete waste of a musical <laughs> education. And I'm sure it did seem like that. Like, yeah. uh, um, but funnily enough, what I probably could not have anticipated is everything from my um, sweaty days of jumping up and down till three o'clock in the morning at various raves in the late 80s and 90s and then following through a lot of those electronic genres through drum and bass and dubstep and whatnot never did i realize in my sort of somewhat more unsuccessful it's not like a, i was ever a huge dj or a really big figure in any one of these you know right uh, right right sub genres or like two-step garage or whatever but what i didn't realize i was doing was pocketing 
a load of production skills. And whilst I was never like a, uh, a, you know, world famous exponent of any one of these genres, a bit, I mean, Junkie, for example, is much more established sure. prior to doing film music as, you know, a legit electronic artist. I was, without realizing, I was secretly squirreling away a lot of techniques which whilst never being like in a genre, they would be used. So if you listen to something like the Winter Soldier Suite, way before any kind of orchestra shows up, there's a whole load of weird mangled sounds and an approach to how to bang out a really aggressive. Oh, that's, um, I mean, when that score came out, I know it got like criticized a lot, but I was, I think one of the best action scores I had listened to. I mean, in experience. Right, and you could see, yeah. Well, I was going to say, you could see why it'd be criticized. If you have an idea of film music that ought to involve uh, mostly an orchestra, you could be forgiven for thinking, why on earth right. am I hearing these serrated, quite frankly, rather unpleasant, aggressive sounds? And it's because my palate also incorporated all this other stuff. So I wasn't trying to be pretentious. To me, it was a natural, because I love Scriabin and Strauss and um, Debussy, but I also love, you know, Fabio and Grubard and drum and bass and, you know, John Hopkins and Brian Eno. And like, I've got so many different influences that I'm happy reaching for any sort yeah. of color. So to get back to your question, uh, whilst I was never a hugely successful record producer, uh, because I was fortunate enough to work with, you know, the Trevor Horn experience, for example, was a really, oh, yeah, Trevor Horn, yeah. uh, he probably doesn't even remember me because I was such a sort of small component in his giant empire. But the experience of working, at, you know, at the Psalm Studios with within that Trevor Horn empire meant I was exposed to engineering being treated as an art form, which is a bit yeah. less the case. And, you know, like mix engineers were sort of highly paid artists because the colour of sound was so highly valued, you know. And, you know, working with working with all those pe people you mentioned, it doesn't seem like an obvious route to film music. And I'm also glad that I had all that classical upbringing. But I guess where I was really lucky is not only did I have all that sort of classical heritage sort of shoved into the system early, I then had this extended period where I wasn't thinking about film music, where all sorts of other things were being sort of, um, without me realising, sort of tucked away in the rucksack that were yeah. much more to do with beat programming and sound design and like how to make something super aggressive and not things to do with orchestration skills or skills pertaining to harmony and melody. And whilst right. I could not have anticipated at that time how useful any of that would be, because as because you're much more open-minded, for example, when you say, you know, it was some people criticised it, but you enjoyed that Winter Soldier score, it's because as a listener, you being open-minded are in expectation just as much of hearing any kind of texture which you feel could describe a character and it doesn't always have to be orchestra right um, and you don't want to be fascist either way you don't want to oh i'm never using orchestra because i'm too cool for school and i want everything to sound and nor do you want you know i think you should never get judgmental either way you know towards the end of that winter soldier suite there is actually an appearance the orchestra starts showing up towards the end of it you know yeah. you should, there aren't really there aren't really any rules and the more you've been lucky enough to have been exposed to so many different musical genres the more as long as you're disciplined about how you go about it it just means that a bit like if you set up to do a painting, you've just got more paint pots to choose from, you know? Exactly, exactly. And that, I mean, the sound that you you created there, I mean, to this day, I still, you know, regard as one of the most unique, I think, Marvel scores and Marvel films. And and it, and it started your, you know, collaboration with, you know, Joan Anthony and and here we are all these years later, you know, yeah. still. <laughs> so, a bit more gray in the uh, in the stubble, but what are you going to do? The gray man is sitting in front of me, yeah. yeah. <laughs> 
Oh, I wish that were a compliment, but yeah. Hey, man, look, I already started. I know you have some ears on me, yeah. but I got, the, I got the little strips, you know, coming in and the beard hairs are coming. Um, but uh, so past, also in those days, you also, I think, got a good, uh, uh, a lot of experience working on those KPM sound music libraries, which a lot of other composers were, you know, like yeah. Tony Smith, uh, Harry and Rupert. And, mm -hmm. you know, so what was it like writing, that, you know, or Richard Harvey, I think as well. Like, I mean, there's a great class yeah. of, you know, of English composers who kind of came through there and all, you know, became almost a group, you know, working with Hans and everything. So what was the, those days like? And what was yeah. like working those library music? Wow, so you're digging out all these old ref. I'd almost forgotten about all that, but yeah, you're absolutely right. Well, because it's another, well, it's a couple of things, really. It's, it's another, especially if you're setting out and you're young and you haven't got much of a career going, these things are opportunities. Right. Yeah. Um, no one's going to ring you up at 22 and go, you know, we'd like you to do this huge blockbuster. So these sort of things, they are opportunities. And in the nature of sort of library music, the kind of things that I did for Music House or KPM and whatnot, again, one of the features of that comes back around to that flexibility thing. Because sometimes you would perhaps approach someone because you know they can do X or that you know yeah. they can do Y. And in the very nature of uh, library music, there's going to be a range of different projects. And so I think where I was maybe lucky or scored a bit of a goal was, oh, it turns out Henry's quite good for some of those like beat based things. Oh, but he's also pretty good at, you know, you can do, you can push yourself and see what you can explore in, with different musical ideas and different musical, just sort of different musical vocabulary. And that's definitely one feature of library music apart from anything else when you're that young it's great because there might be a real orchestra at the end of it or there might <laughs> right. be a budget for some real so it's a great way um i guess for, for not exactly a launching platform because you're not necessarily going to go from a library album to some you know hollywood producer ringing you but in the, in the long chain of uh musical opportunities that could lead to something it, it is a good opportunity because um they're quite flexible. There's a lot of material needed. So it does mean uh, people can kind of swim in and out of the, uh, you know, the opportunity field without there being too much pressure on them. And then if you seize that opportunity and people go, oh, well, that sounds interesting. We should get them to do another one. Yeah. And then, I mean, um, that probably sets you up, I mean, perfectly to once you did start working in film and working with Hans and John and, you know, getting kind of as an additional composer, which you've kind of moved up the ranks and did that whole process and have them as mentors and everything i mean and then now you get to see i think people working on your music team kind of go out into the world like dom and matt and alex and all these great composers who are just killing yeah. it right now so i mean it must be just uh, oh it's that's really satisfying as well particularly if you find yourself lucky in the same way that i'm so grateful for the sort of trevor horn experience and the hans zimmer experience if i find myself in any capacity able to help uh people in in any way it's really satisfying because particularly when if when you're a composer you are particularly well placed to know who else is very talented in a way right. i'm not i'm not knocking producers or anything but you can understand why if you're a producer you feel comfortable if you're hiring someone you look at imdb and there's a giant list of credits of course you feel institutionally safe i mean they must have <laughs> you know and you, it's all, you have to be more a musician or a composer to have the confidence to go, listen, I realize there isn't necessarily a huge, great long list of IMDb, but because of my experience of knowing someone's capabilities sort of on the inside, I have yeah. every confidence in such and such a person. And particularly with sometimes budget shrinking and people not, you know, often things having to all be samples and whatnot. If you 
know of someone's talents and feel like you know at the end of the chain the creative chain they're in there really ought to be some sort of actual orchestra at the end of it and you might be able to have some small influence in propelling uh you know them into a situation where their talents can be realized that in itself is is it, it, it almost in a completely separate category of gratifying because it's uh you know it's not the same scale i mean hands is like the ultimate example of that yeah yeah but but it but it is um it is something that you know because people do ask you once you've done a lot of films and you're not able to do something or people want advice about well you know we got a few names knocking around but we're interested in some other names that we might not have thought of um you you can have a uh, you know, and I'm always objective with that. I'll know, you know, you because nepotism, the negative version of nepotism is meaninglessly suggesting someone who's actually not appropriate right, for a task. Right. I, I'm only interested in thinking of <clears throat> situations in which I genuinely believe that uh, someone's creative situation can be significantly, you know, elevated because I think someone's just about to do a fantastic job on it. But yeah, no, that is, uh, it's, I guess it's just part of a, 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 a historic chain of um you know the the world of apprenticeships leading to establishing oneself is a sort of you know time-honored um system that goes back to i don't know medieval painters yeah i mean that's just um, the way to learn it's the best yeah. way to learn yeah, yeah yeah i'm not by the way that's not me saying that any kind of university and college course on music to pictures is a waste of time absolutely not i'm not saying that but i'm saying that if in combination with that you can get a real apprenticeship in a, in a meaningful situation where you're seeing the kind of actual day-to-day -day reality of, yeah. of, of, you know, working on these projects. That's, um, I know it sounds a bit blue collar, but I honestly don't think you can for that sort of job, you know, it's different if you want to be a nuclear scientist, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, you know, if you're going to be a surgeon or something, you probably want to yeah. learn from the, from the <laughs> chief of surgery and not just, well, that's you know, true. Even, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but something like that, but I guess for theoretical physics, you wouldn't necessarily have to do an apprenticeship, but, um yeah it's a, a, an invaluable experience apprenticeships for often many times for reasons that aren't always necessarily to do with finding your own musical voice or right um, your own musical style there's so many aspects to filmmaking that Absolutely. the act of w witnessing it while you don't have to take all the pressure of it you pick up and learn <clears throat> you know other things that sometimes you know to do with handling situations or handling directors or producers or just even dumb things like logistics it's 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 quite a campaign yeah uh getting a big score done is it's it's not only getting, is there anything the, made these days getting a movie yeah? on this, if you're if you're watching something on streaming or television or on it, it was a miracle that that thing got to that point yeah. final delivered approved yeah. budgeted all that stuff it's it's a, such a journey i mean it's like the amount of work and decisions that I think exactly. people, you know, it's it's an hour and a half or two hours of your time, but it's, it was years of people's lives, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. exactly. Absolutely. So uh, let's jump into, uh, let's jump into the Rousseau's. You, you, you know, you've worked with them on Winter Soldier, on a Civil War, on Cherry, uh, and, you know, they produced some things that you've, you've also worked on, but um, now you're back with them for the Gray Man. So talk about how has the uh, you're, when you started working with them to now has has that relationship changed is there more freedom or uh do they trust you more to just go and kind of do your thing was it always the case from the beginning or has it kind of gotten more freedom throughout the years that's a good question i think we we probably got off to a pretty courageous start i would say you know what the very first thing i you know, you know on the 
<clears throat> excuse me, you know, on the Winter Soldier soundtrack album, the actual track called Winter Soldier? Yeah. Which isn't really a cue. That's sort of the sweet. Sweet, that is right. in fact, that is in fact the very first thing I ever played them, after wow. I met them. So, which is you know pretty courageous because it's not your straight up and down. Yeah, you know, I think you. Piece. I remember you describing it as like, oh, it sounds like a cat getting castrated. <laughs> I think that. <laughs> yeah, I think right. That was your. Those were your verbs verbatim. <laughs> but, it, and that could have gone one or two ways. That could have been Henry. That's radical and brave and interesting. And let's right. uh, pretend we didn't hear it. And uh, <laughs> well, let's come up with something else. And because they responded so positively to that, that, that probably set a tone in the relationship right from the beginning. And don't forget, in the context of Winter Soldier, of course, they've got their left foot in the kind of Russo identity. But to have success at Marvel, you can't just pretend Yes, you, uh, it's all your own. But you have to have your right foot in, in the Marvel camp. And they did a great right. job of bringing their own voice whilst retaining sufficient um, consistency with the Marvel Universe, which is what Kevin's looking at. You know, Kevin's not trying to constrict everything kevin's inviting all these filmmakers in but just respectfully expecting not to stray so far that you know right, it doesn't right, feel right. like a marvel film and so um within the context of it you know need it but i would say in the context of a marvel situation the winter soldier was about as brave as you're going to get you know I in terms so. of the you know possible well, not not i mean that sounds a bit blowing my own trumpet but let's say it was in the braver um... oh, for sure because i think it's still to you know I'm, I'm a little bit more critical i think of like the whole franchising and the big you know branding of these <laughs> giant ips and you know movies that are 300 million dollars and superheroes and all the jurassic worlds and all that stuff but like i think still to this day i look back at winter soldier and i'm like well how did that one you know get cleared and because well it's know... a lot of yeah that's 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 joe and anthony see because they yeah. had they really did bring you know forget about what i did just they brought something to if they brought something to the filmmaking that that just sort of oh, just the, some of the best action into... set pieces i still the stunt yeah. work on that is amazing <clears throat> i mean and the way your score is utilized i mean the winter soldier whale you know that dom vocals that you know stretching yes warping them <laughs> oh the poor guy we tortured him quite literally um but the but so so right from the beginning there was an element of courageousness about their not you know a little bit from me but in a way more from more from them and I think all that happens over time is because there's a certain level of like mutual admiration that will develop over time and in a not quite a creative shorthand because every project's different. Like Cherry was oh, so yeah. different to anything. Cherry was completely we'd done. different. Yeah. Completely different. But I think what starts to happen over time is um a sort of the radius of trust that develops starts getting you know sort of wider and wider so that those times when you're thinking you know i've got a bit of a crazy idea but i don't know i don't know if i want to pursue that because it could be a bit of a waste of time now that an idea that presents itself like that to you would be one that if you're working with people with whom you don't have that trust you're like well you know maybe not for this you know yeah and so they they create the creative uh, atmospherics that lead to, I mean, people often talk about, you know, that voice on your shoulder where it's difficult to be completely free because there's always some sort of voice on your shoulder, whether it's cultural expectation, head of the studio, previously traumatizing experience. There's always a reason why there might be something going, well, you know, don't open every door, you know. Right, you, right. Whereas I feel by the time I got to Cherry with Joe and Anthony, it was like, well, let's just, who even knows where this is going to, some of the experimentation I was doing on Cherry, um, it was a very my, psychological I, score, in my opinion. I mean, you really got into yes. the protagonist's head and you're playing, with, getting into the emotional thing. I mean, there was this, you know, personal kind of intimate story about him. And you're yes, moving it's from a, 
war back to home like there's a lot of different changes of, of scenery as well yes and unlike gray man which is a more action-based thing it's more in it's more psychological yeah. drama and it's more internal and it's a lot you know it's more intimate but i mean some of the experiment by, by necessity if you're working on something uh leaving aside the collaboration with directors when unless you're supremely arrogant or or blessed with a ludicrous amount of self-confidence in the act of experimenting itself you should encounter a feeling of creative uncertainty sure. because the only way you would feel completely creatively assured throughout an entire process is either that you're such a genius that everything you touch is amazing which is never going to apply to me um you're completely deluded and <clears throat> Or what you're working on is so safe that there was never any need to feel. Um, right, right, concerned. right. So I, I've learned to live with, on something like Cherry, when I was really getting into some of the sound elements and some of the ideas and some of the engineering manipulations, you can often be halfway through a process, which is the equivalent of open heart surgery, where this piece is not ready yet. And it, quite frankly, if you hit spacebar right now and listen to what you've got, it's in no fit state to be listened to because you're in the middle of pursuing some quite complex either sonic or harmonic ideas that you know need a bit of time you can start to feel like come on i want to get further enough far, far enough in this process to know it's gonna work and it's learning to trust that well hold on if we really want to do something unusual carry on with this process of experimentation until you found you know the sounds that you want and then start working on it in other words in necessarily in some creative processes there will be periods of time where you go if i listen to this right now i have to be quite honest it's not sounding amazing at present you know <laughs> um i spent forever on some of these cherry things where i was using like uh, i was like um just printing different vocoded reverbs where i was using a synth to as each chord hits the reverb you know i'm actually yeah changing chords as it hits the reverb so there'll be a particular day where all i'm listening to all day long is vocoded reverbs that are being comped together. It's like, what is that? You know, if someone came in there and go, what are you doing? It just sounds like a lot of airy, washy crap that weirdly has a chord change. It's like, I know, I know, I, know. I haven't finished yet. It's, like, it's actually a piano piece, but I'm trying to be really original. Instead of just putting reverb on it, I'm doing this whole thing where each blast of reverb is differently harmonized and then i'm cross-fading all the you know it takes a long time yeah. to make it work and if you, if you come in at the wrong point it's a bit like an open heart surgery where all you see is a guy cut open and a lot of veins it's like well this this doesn't look right because i know that's because we're in the middle of an operation go away and come back and hopefully you'll have a li living breathing patient and, and the example i just gave them was just more like an effect reverby sort of production example but it applies to anything really if you if you're really sort of pushing the boat out to try and find something there'll be times where if someone said hey play me what you got right now i'd be like actually i can't do that right now because there's nothing that you'll hear where you go i get what you're doing you'll probably go yeah i i don't really so that's not really work <laughs> you know <laughs> but you need you need a bit of that if you never have that experience then it means that all the way down the line your entire process was so safe that you're just probably not doing anything particularly interesting if it right if it sounds like it's going to work from the minute you you know go into the studio then you're probably not doing um that interesting and going back to the joe and anthony part of it you need a certain type of relationship to pursue things um without that sort of voice on your shoulder or someone going hey i gotta hear what you've got to check it you know it, if people don't respect you or they don't know what you do there's a bit more like well you know we can't wait forever what's going on down there you know yeah. like and, and when you have the space 
and and you feel like you have the confidence of your directors, then you're much more likely and, and uh, to to you know to perform uh, experimental and unusual or make these discoveries. And that definitely increases over time because the more you collaborate, and you know, since they seem to have been happy with all the collaborations we've had, they you know it's like just let henry he goes into this world building thing where you just leave him alone to do a sweep for a bit and god knows what i don't even want to know what's going on down there but at some point you know he'll emerge and hopefully it'll be a new thing that he's created that will um have a quite thoughtful interpretation of what we you know joe and anthony what it is we're trying to do um so i'm enormously grateful for that it's it's it's, it's extremely artistic um proposition and and, and uh, you know it's those sort of atmospherics are quite difficult to cultivate and very easy it, the opposite is very easy to you know i've i've been i've seen environments i've seen creative environments where any type of that slightly insidious creative fear straight away leads mm -hmm. to a kind of safety and genericism or safety in what's known and you know it can have a very corrosive effect yeah when when pe if people don't have the feeling this could be a swing and a miss but i still think we should explore such and such once that kind of a feeling is replaced by hey you better make sure this works it, it, it has an enormously corrosive effect on the creative process so i'm really grateful to joe and anthony in their whole way of filmmaking certainly in my case i think i speak for every you know the picture editors yeah. they work with and cinematographers that is an environment that they i love it's a bit like a I remember Joe saying there was something I did on Cherry. I was like, let me just try this. It probably won't work. Let me just try. And it was a sort of Baroque harpsichord thing when they were trying to crack open the safe. And it was fun and I enjoyed doing it. And even as I was printing the cue, I was like, you know, it's one level of winky kind of knowingness. It, it's one level of self-referential. Yeah. It's too far. And I can't, I secretly knew that. I was like, well, it's a shame. It's kind of a cool piece. And, and uh, Anthony listened to it and it was like, yeah, not too sure. And Joe goes, you know, Henry, it's, it's, it's a big swing, but I think it's a miss, but you know what? <laughs> I love how big the swing was. <laughs> <laughs> and that, and that's really the attitude. That's their attitude in a heartbeat. Joe was like, okay, so that's not what we're going to do for that scene. But you know what? I'm loving how you took a big swing at that. Yeah. Like, meaning, go, you go, know, to how, this, go to this level yeah. and come back down instead of, incrementally yeah. getting up here just go here and then, okay no exactly like it was that. like a yeah. wild idea that the sort of breaking of a safe by these completely drug-ridden <laughs> individuals could have this sort of slightly uh you know handelian like why not let's see you know it, it might have been brilliant um and uh in that respect it reminds me of a comment matthew vaughan made i think we were just talking generally and he goes i never understand because if there's one thing matthew hates it's just sort of generic He's like, yeah. you know, any sort of, I mean, he, he borders on unsafe and has to be sort yeah, of reined in sometimes. With, yeah, well, no, no, I don't mean like that. I mean, more in no, filmmaking. No, I mean, it's like, his, his creative vision is insane. It's crazy, too. I yeah. love it, though. Like, hit the yeah, no, it's, it's fantastic. I mean, like, yeah, it's precisely. Amazing. If anything, they'll just be the odd producer coming like, hey, does this really need to be eight minutes long? Couldn't we achieve the same thing with a six yeah. minute scene or like this particular shot, which is bordering on pornographic? It could, it, 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 have we have we overstepped the mark? You know, this kind of thing. <laughs> Anyway, Matthew, to his great credit, said, look, you know, this is what I don't understand about people. They're so cowardly. If you're at a crossroads, you're not quite sure what to do. Just go with the brave option. 
because if you if it doesn't quite work out and it turns out it's not great at least you at least you've gone down in flames i mean who who wants to have like an idea that fails that wasn't even a committed idea in the first place you might as well if you've got an idea for god's sake go for it right uh, yeah, yeah. and then at least you can say hey we tried that and it didn't work and no one could go yeah but did you did you really try? I said, no, 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 we, we definitely try that idea and it doesn't work. So it's okay. Well, that, that in itself is a discovery. Yeah, absolutely. We went, we, we went down that road and it was interesting, but ultimately didn't work. And so this is something that often you'll see in successful filmmakers that it doesn't always have to be in, in the form of bravado or anything, but even if it's a quiet consistency, it's those people who have a consistency of vision because, I mean, you know, it's it's stressful enough getting music written all the time to big yeah. projects or small projects, any kind of project that, you know, that you've committed to. When you're a director, you've got potentially studio pressures, financial pressures, producers, all the rest of it. Joe and Auntie have that to a slightly lesser extent because they're so successful and they often produce their own stuff. But my point being, there's a lot of winds that could buffet you around. Yeah. Um, and influences, especially if you're less established. So any kind of person you can find to collaborate with who has whether it be you know with great bravado or with great um quietness it's it's that consistency of vision where it doesn't matter what's happening they can hold on to an idea that they've got and they will pursue it doggedly and consistently and with courage and whether that's in a with a very quiet <laughs> in a very quiet manner or, or not the manner isn't the important bit the important bit is that the having of the vision and then the holding on to it once everything gets going once you know once the set's collapsed and the you know the storms come in and the financial people are moaning and the you know script rewrites are coming in it's those people who have uh, a consistency of vision a belief in it and the ability to collaborate and communicate with other people with the magic combination of making sure it's leading into their overall vision, but with leaving them enough creative space yeah. for their collaborators to bring something that they otherwise themselves would not have even thought of. And it's that's a very weird, um, what's the word? Like a dichotomous or oxymoronical selection of attributes to have, which they have in spades. Meaning, I think one of the great things about Joe and Anthony is they somehow have this meta sort of umbrella of Russo-ness yes, that, yes. that comes through in cinematography, picture editing, music, yeah. that, that, that there's something undeniably Russo about an experience. And yet the relationship they have with me or they've had with Jeff Ford or Pietro or, or Jeff Grotham, they also allow plenty of space in the knowledge, the whole reason of hiring someone like me or Jeff Ford or whoever it is, yeah. is they also have something that they can't predict and that they don't know what it is. And you need to leave the space for it so that and don't micromanage and don't trample on something that could have otherwise brought something to the Russo vision that they themselves had not fully articulated or expected. Now, that is a very contradictory yes. set of attributes to have because it's easy to be so directorial and, and domineering and fascistic that you absolutely shout your orders left, right and centre. And then you never get surprised by the contribution of someone who could have brought something unexpected because you were too, you're gripping the thing too tightly. And it's really easy to be so passive and useless <laughs> that everyone's just doing their thing. And there isn't some sort of overarching, you know, set of 
aesthetic principles that have somehow magically been communicated to everyone to manage to do both things at once is like being a sort of um some sort of uh, benevolent king who somehow combines ruling the kingdom with you know justice and fairness and a bit of discipline but also allowing the people enough freedom so it's it's not easy i've seen you know uh situations where music is definitely suffering from the limited imagination of a director who seems to insist on understanding what all the music's doing almost you know technically and therefore slightly um you know throttling the potential blooming of ideas that are outside of their imagination and i've seen situations where the complete lack of vision and discipline just means there doesn't seem to be any rhyme or reason for anything coherent in the yeah. creative process it's really difficult to hit that venn diagrammatic sweet spot in the middle where you got <laughs> you've got two things happening at once discipline and an invitational freedom for others to contribute to your project it's i mean I'm glad I'm not a, a director. <laughs> I, I, I just don't think I'd be good enough. Well, yeah, I, uh, but yeah. So you have come really full circle, I think, with the Gray Man. I think uh, the score I, I listened through the album and, and the film is out now on Netflix, and it's uh, it it kind of channels that spirit of Winter Soldier. But you got to create this amazing espionage kind of score that has elements of like kind of classic uh you know the stuff that comes from the past and your modern textures a lot of this pulse pounding rhythms and stuff to build all these amazing and it's not a big bombastic score by any means there are some kind of kind of big moments but i think a lot of the tension the the heart of the score is the tension building and i really mm. loved uh tango in prague was a, a great set piece i think a <laughs> uh, piece of piece of music which i that took I, a while I, yeah <laughs> I, I love seeing you indulge there. It was really cool. But like, and the, but a lot of the nuance stuff is so interesting. So talk to me about the first conversations you had about music when it came to the Gray Man. What did Joe and Anthony kind of give you any uh, like a roadmap to do, or was he were they just like, hey, we were going for this vibe, and did, or did I know you kind of wrote that suite before anything was shot or or anything? But like, yeah, what, what, well, what that's led really you down that 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 sound. Yeah, I think the key to my relationship with them is now so good that whilst the script is really important, almost my biggest initial inspiration where I'm not even aware of what magic uh, seeds they're kind of planting in my head are the conversations really. And the, yeah, the really early conversations we had, um, I think to be really frank, it, they were open-ended. It, it was Joe and Nancy going, look, you know, there are elements of the gray man that are genre, you know, this isn't sure. some, something so off the charts that we're reinventing the cinematic universe. I think it's going to be right. more a case of it is in a genre and there will be tropes that we know and expect. It's how we stylistically play with those expectations. So you don't just go, haven't we all seen this before? Right. Right. And that's going to be the fun of it, you know? And we had these various conversations and it was like, you know, Henry, I don't know, you know, maybe it's heavily electronic. Maybe it's like a huge orchestra. Maybe it's a bit of a, I don't know what I do know is no doubt you're going to do your thing and and we'll it'll provoke a conversation and we'll move from there you know and so i think the very first so let's see my i my first son james was born in right. march you, you, 2021 you're, new, you're right? your new dad so congratulations indeed thank you very much <laughs> and i knew i wasn't going to be really involved in getting the cues um diving into the queue to let's say December 2021 or even January 2022 because we're recording in April so I was like hey you know what I'm gonna stop working for a while you know I've never yeah. done that 
and be a, try and be a good dad as much as you can when this beautiful living creature is mostly screaming and 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 you know um <laughs> needing a diaper change <clears throat> so i did that for a bit i was like well and then you know what it was uh anthony and joe called i think they'd spent the day weirdly enough on one of the more emotional scenes to do with Six's sort of inexplicable, inarticulate um, introvertedness has a sort of traumatic backstory to it. You know, right, I mean, it's right. it's sort of cool that he's like that, but there's also this beat to do with um, his abusive father. And they come and say, "Hey, Henry, not that you know, I'm sure you're happy being a dad and whatnot. We're not here to bother you, but we just happened to. I think it was Anthony who mentioned just throwing it out there because I'm sure you'll be thinking about the action and coming up with a the theme and everything." We just happen to be shooting one of those more contemplative introverted scenes today. And there's like a whole problem that Six has. And that is quite an important thread in the movie as well. So just putting it out there to seed it into your head that there's a secondary strain of DNA in this movie. And so I just went to the piano, I think literally on the basis of that conversation, I was like, yeah, that's like a ghost in the machine sort of a problem. And you know, the piano intro to the suite. Yes. That was it. So I just started with those chords, which sort of, um, killed two birds with one stone it was to me addressing Anthony's thing of like there's also this ghost in the machine idea and right. also the the harmonies that I used even though that because they're quite sparsely harmonized um with the piano it doesn't necessarily sound espionage but there's quite a few parallel minor chords in there which can help seed that sort of espionage harmonic language that appears later yes. in the suite yeah, yeah, but at yeah. the time I was like I just put the iPhone on quickly fiddled around till I thought, hey, I think I've got a pretty cool Ghost in the Machine, simple, sparse piano thing that could be the basis of this, you know, um, emotional dysfunction that Six has. And that, that's all I need. It's in the iPhone when it comes to December. And you go, have you got any ideas? Well, I haven't really got into it yet, but i tell you what I do have. I've got, I've got a cool Ghost in the Machine idea, you know. And then just as, and, and then the next day I was like, you know what, let me record that properly. Instead of doing the iPhone, let, let me do it. I'll perform it slowly, nicely, do it on the piano, engineer it nicely. It's like, you know what, let me, let me get some production going. I get some like backwards, let me print some reverbs and do backwards, blah, blah, blah. So I spent a bit of time in a sort of Harold Buddy, Eno-y, let's get this piece sorted so it's like a nice, definite nailed thing. So I did that. And just as I finished, I got this percussion sound. I went, oof, 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 oof. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Hand. I don't know why I did it. I was like, well, it's in 5-4. Maybe I was thinking of like gang, 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 gang. But I'm liking that 5-4 thing. I like the tempo. Let me just bung that in the sequencer because I, I don't want to forget that. I like the tempo and I like the feel. But let's leave it at that. I've got a cool piano idea. I've got this. I know all it is is a rhythm right now, but that's I feel like that's going to become a thing. And then a few diaper changes later and a few sleepless nights later. Just let, let me go back to that groove. And then I started spending weeks engineering all these mashed up breakbeats and recording clocks and slowing them down and spending forever building this palette of sounds. I, was like, I tell you what, I'll do the piano thing and then I'll do a sort of, hey, Joe and Nancy, check out this world I'm creating. It'll be a three minute nonstop percussion, production percussion. You know, nothing, it doesn't sound yeah. super realistic. Just to show you this world of like, I've got these really aggressive sounds. So I spent ages handcrafting them and engineering them. And then not long after that, you know, I started putting the chords in. I was like, oh, that's kind of handy with those. Desperate. And then suddenly this bass line showed up. And I was like, oh, that's yeah, that was, uh, that was and cool. I was, oh <laughs> God, this piece went out. Okay, I tell you what, I'll do the percussion at the front. I'll show off the percussion. I'll get the chords going. I'll get that cello thing going. Then I'll get the bass line going. Then I'll call it a day. That's plenty of DNA to be getting along with. I'll come up with a theme later. You know, I don't have to start to sing till December. And you can see where this is going. This thing took on a life of its own and it almost wow. stopped it stopped becoming a thing about joe and anthony and became this 
I've got this animal that's growing all this sort of like um there's a thing growing in the laboratory that I've lost control of right. and it just keeps getting longer and longer and and I, all I'm trying to do is finish it all I'm trying to do is as an idea arrives, I want to explore it to its logical conclusion. And then for God's sake, can this thing end? And every time it did, I was like, oh, now there's this new brass idea I've come up with, you know, that's all octatonic and that could work for answers. Oh, bloody hell. I suppose I better do another two minutes based on that idea. And on and on and on it went. And then the big sort of Mancini S theme showed up at the end. Yeah. I finally finished this thing. It's like 18 minutes long. Going, God, how did that turn into 18 minutes? And meanwhile, I'm thinking, Victoria, my partner's going to kill me because I haven't played any of this to Joe and Anthony. And if they go, Henry, this is exciting and fantastic, but I, I just don't really see it for Grey Man. I have quite frankly wasted seven months of my life and I'm going to feel yeah. like an idiot. I, I, I could have played them little snippets way earlier. And Victoria's going to kill me because I could have been having the first six months of our lovely new family in the Cook Islands or something instead of being half in the laboratory all the time. Right. But anyway, <laughs> December comes around and uh, Joe goes... Um, uh, so we got a first cut. Let's start talking music. And they began a conversation that was very preparatory. And I said, Hey, Joe, jo, let me stop you right there. I have a confession to make. I secretly have like an almost 18 minute piece of music that's a sort of giant adventure that has everything from a kind of intimate, weird piano intro that's a bit sort of produced that's the ghost in the machine, and then lots of action percussion, and then not one, but two different themes. And he's like, Oh my God. What are you doing? Why have I not heard? I need to hear this like immediately. Yeah. <laughs> no. And I said, here's the thing, Joe, like I, I've been living with it, like my own private secret for six months without telling, literally no one knows this piece exists. And the problem with playing it to you is if you don't like it, I, I need to sort of find a tall building to throw myself off. So <laughs> like maybe I'll have one more night of psychological freedom. So like, at least I get a good night's sleep. Otherwise I'll stay up all night worrying about what you think about it. I'll send it to you in the morning. Anyway, I sent it to Joe and Anthony and, um, the response, thank God, was pretty. I think Joe was texting live as he was listening to it, you know. <laughs> Particularly, you know what, when, when the bass line first came in, I think I got a text just went, this bass line is C-I-I-I-I-I-I-I-C-K, you know. And um, so thank God. Uh, and, you know, Anthony and Joe, they're really... Uh, they've worked with me a lot. It wasn't just, oh, you know, this sounds nice. Straight away, Anthony's like, hey, you know where that piano thing's going to be great? It's going to be great. <clears throat> as DNA in those scenes with Claire and I could see a version of that especially there's a part in the middle that's a bit more sympathetic I feel like that could pertain to Glenn and Joe's like oh my god that bass line I want to be hearing that you know in the plane and I reckon this could form the basis of the Prague sequence and you know straight away it's not just that they're listening to a piece of music and go, oh I think this sounds cool they're going I think I yeah these these whatever these weird chords are whatever stupid posh word Henry uses okay whatever that sounds like Hanson and that you know what I mean they're right 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 yeah. really really quickly there's it's like not exactly that version but we can hear this DNA and we're really excited about how it can be used so that <laughs> I remember thinking have I shot myself in the foot because the reason I was able to spend about seven months on it is because Jamie was born. I'm not, I was like, Hey Joe, I don't think I can do an 18 minute suite and spend seven months like on every single thing. We did together. <laughs> I feel like I'm only going to disappoint you from now on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You have to make, you have to have another baby. That's the only way to do it. <laughs> well, I, it's, it's such an amazing experience. I'd be very happy to do that. So 
yeah, that's how it came about. Now, here's the thing. It wasn't wasted time because unlike an animated film where, you know, if you have a very orchestral movie, there's no point spending that long really on the suite because each cue is going to be so... You, you yeah, start yeah. from the ground up. You can't cut audio out of it. However, not including the actual themes, the orchestration, strings, brass and woods, all that underlying undercarriage of mashed up breakbeats and rising bass sounds and just all that language that was a literal case of i haven't wasted time because all that time i spent getting those unique sounds i've got them they're now my sounds i can chop them sample them put them in the sampler speed them up slow them down i actually physically have the audio lego bricks for the yeah. undercarriage of this film so it seems like an awful lot of work but at least i'd baked all these pies so when someone went, hey, has anyone got some interesting pies? Like, I got tons of pies, right? And I've I've pies spent seven months. Yeah, pies for days. And then you can't buy them at Whole Foods, right? These took seven months to make and they're made out of really weird ingredients. So it, on a number of levels, it wasn't um, so extravagant. And, and, you know, I wasn't so down a rabbit hole that um, it, it was wasted. A lot of that engineering and a lot of that sound design was... Uh, creating Lego bricks, which in different combinations and permutations and being sped up and slowed down and put into different groove contexts. But I'd got that work then, as you can probably hear, I mean, you've got fantastic yeah. ears. If you if you listen to that suite, you then can hear a number of those elements then show up in the score. In some cases, literally, oh, look, it's that sound again. Right. It's all, it's all, you're describing almost like a process of like working on a video game almost, where it's like you're kind of creating these like textures and stuff and seeing and then you and when the picture comes you're just like okay let's mold that here and mold because isn't that similar to kind of how a game is you know designed somewhat it well, yeah there's some truth to that the only difference of course but you're a little more i, I wouldn't use the word restricted because well, I, I know games are kind of like you know they're yes like handing because the stems you, over and <coughs> right playing more so than, yes yeah. and it, or, or everything yeah. always has to work together but right but yeah in a way it's a bit like it's nowhere near as classical but in a way it's like spending forever on an overture only like a 21st right. century overture that also contains beats and production and weird sounds and whatnot so that when you come to do your opera instead of going oh blimey i've got to come up with this so ah but not to worry if you listen to the overture it's got most of the themes of your upcoming opera you know yeah it's that sort of an idea but only you know a 21st century version where it's not all you know symphonic but uh it's a you know it wouldn't work for all types of score and all types of movies but it's just how that particular, apart from anything else, I just lost control of the process. I just became obsessed. <laughs> and I knew I couldn't have the artistic dishonesty to finish the piece. I yeah. just go, I'll oh, just stick an ending on it. Just stick a damn it, you know, because it kept trying to keep going and I had to keep exploring yeah. it. And it would have felt dishonest to go, oh, I don't know, just bang an ending on it for God's sake and call it a day. Otherwise this thing's just gonna dribble on forever. So, the, you know, when you're making an action film, of, of, I think I may talk with so many compo composers have said the same thing, you know, I mean, and I think people should know at home, like action filmmaking, I mean, putting those scenes together is shot piece by piece, the, 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 the edit's always changing, the film is this breathing kind of creature that's, you know, getting formed in the edit and you're cutting frames and things up, and then as a composer, uh, you have to conform sometimes when mm. edits and things change. So on this on this picture, was there a lot of like like oh Henry, uh, here's a new cut, or were you just kind of like able to work on a lock picture and really kind of tighten the bolts and make sure the music kind of worked? Yeah, sort of in between the two. It wasn't so locked that from the minute we <clears throat> I started the queue process in December, <clears throat> excuse me, through to scoring, there were no changes. But unlike some movies where you know the beast is really moving around a lot and even 
the position of scenes change, which can yeah. really mess you up. <clears throat> it really was a bit more tweaky. It, it felt like the same. By the time I'd really got onto a roll with the cues, it was pretty stable ground, if I'm honest. That's cool. You know? that, I mean, because yeah. I mean, the, 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 the score, at least to me on, you know, listening to it, 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 fits, it feels like a, a nice suit. You know, it fits really yes. well. Well, that's, film. that's why, you, tailored you know, yeah. you must be grateful when, I mean, look, you know, you've got Joe and Anthony, it goes back to the consistency of vision thing I'm talking about. Yeah. <clears throat> you know, you didn't have someone showing going, oh, I think this should feel more like a such and such film. And then they go back to the drawing board and start changing everything. So you've got their original vision. Now, then who have you got? You've got Jeff Groth, you've got Pietro, you've got picture editors who seriously know what this. So you imagine the combination yeah. of the picture editors working on this movie and Joe and Anthony. So by the time I was really up and running, most of the tweaks were probably more to do with ratings than any structural, you know, they'd really got the, the nuts and bolts locked in there. So, and you're right, it does make a difference. It's not like scores are necessarily massively adversely impacted when there's a little too much structural sliding around for one's sure. liking but you you your language is perfectly placed there's no doubt that whereas had it been stable for longer you just get that last layer yeah of, yeah of, like the, the difference between a suit that's a perfectly decent suit that you could buy off the rack a, a, you know off the rack yeah it looks great or, it fits great, <clears> right but... it, exactly if you're lucky enough ever i've never had one but if you're ever you know if, you know if you get a suit um made by a tailor i mean there's no messing around it's literally designed to yeah. be, exactly to slide and so on that you, body perfectly <laughs> exactly so uh you know one has to be grateful for that because there are many reasons not through anyone's incompetence very often things do move around there's reshoot schedule god knows covid messed up a lot oh, of yeah don't I forget guess. some of this was shot you know they managed to get through a lot of this in covid times you know With the restrictions and everything yeah i mean i can't imagine and then of course for you recording you know you know during uh everything i know there's a lot it's, it's a little bit more freeing now but you know still recording a lot of things more separate i think right than yeah normal. yeah so but i think i got lucky even there i mean it, big hero six or puss in boots or you know winnie the pooh you want everyone in a room playing together because it's so like record making it actually wasn't the end of the world that right. i had to do brass separately to strings because then i could even do little sneaky tricks of <clears throat> little colored engineering specifically for the brass to get a bit of a ribbon mic broken up um you know slightly badass brass sound that doesn't apply to the strings you know so yeah i think was, i yeah. <clears throat> i even got lucky that the last remaining restrictions of covid which were only that you can have your full string orchestra but not with the brass and the woods at the same time right even that might have in fact worked in our favor yeah i think i mean the, the whole the final I, I, it's such an exciting score it's such a thrilling score and it's it's a i think an action espionage kind of a thrilling score that i haven't you know heard in a while it just feels <clears throat> it feels unique it feels but i love that yeah i think i said it already but it feels just like it feels like it's marrying two worlds of kind of that traditional sound mixed with uh you know your your it's a very henry score i must say it's just you know it kind of feels like your structure and everything and and the way yeah working with uh, well i got no excuse now i've told you the trade secret that i spent about seven months on the suite i've really got if you can't come up with something original having been i mean i wasn't working every day you know of course yeah 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 decent that if you can't come up with something half decent or original in seven months you really do need shooting <laughs> 
So uh, tell me, is there is there a, a moment in this film, a, a scene or a sequence that really kind of stood out to you that you really like look back at? It? It's like, oh, that was really creatively rewarding. That like, oh, I loved how the music fit into this piece and how it built the scene. Like, mm. was there kind of a favorite scene for you that you got to work on? Probably two stick out. One would be the challenge of the Prague sequence, uh-huh. um, which when you watch the movie itself, I mean, I didn't get to put, because of, you know I couldn't put a hundred minutes or a hundred and ten, I mean, no one wants to listen to hundred minutes of Jackman for God's sake. So it's a little reduced on the soundtrack, but the sequence right. itself in the movie, I think it's like eight minutes, eight and a half minutes or something. Yeah. That was a real challenge, but a fun one on like, okay, ordinarily you're going to hit the fatigue um, barrier with eight right. and a half minutes of music. However, because we've got a couple of unique grooves, and we've got this baseline and we've got different fields and we've also got the big theme and we've got all these components. If we're really clever about how it all gets deployed, it gets uh, uh, over the whole product sequence, there may be a way to start, start the cooking slowly, keep it boiling yeah. and somehow get all the way to the end in one big satisfying thing where you never go, bloody hell, this is too much. I'm, I'm sick of it. And some of it is the pacing of how you release your, thematic material and how long you spend sort of enjoying the production for a bit before you know the melodic development starts to increase towards the right hand part of the sequence that that was a, a really cool challenge from the point of view of like let's not see this as a sort of um climbing a mountain yeah. in a semi-resentful fashion <laughs> let's work out how to do that so you go wow that actually really worked and it flew by and it was really enjoyable so that that was very satisfying the other thing there's a track on the soundtrack which i think i called under the blood red sun or i gave it some pretentious title like that <laughs> and what i enjoyed about that was the you know those piano chords i was telling you about that uh, yeah. are at the beginning of the suite that represent his sort of internal um trauma i liked how in the movie that last fight with hansen is not an action fight that cue yeah. under the blood red sun is the cue that goes under the fight and by then it's become, because we've just come out of the labyrinth and we're in a slightly different part of the movie, it's almost like as Six is fighting Hansen in the final fight, he's almost fighting himself and his own demons just as much as he is fighting Hansen. Yeah, and yeah. so that that piece is a slightly more, you know, it almost has like a Vangelis-y, Eno-y sort of spiritual element to it. And it's all based on that whole Under the Blood Rose Sun is like, like a sort of drawn out version of those original piano chords that are the front right. of the suite. Right. Yeah. And it's just, it's, it reminds me, I know it sounds wildly different and in terms of music and filmmaking, it's, it's not similar at all musically, but in terms of the filmmaking choice, it's similar in the, I, can't, I don't know if you remember the, the original Ang Lee Hulk that yeah. some people were not particularly nice about because they get hung up on what CGI looked like in exactly. 2003. Yeah, yeah. But, it's, but there's I a think, beautiful... I think it's, there's, a, there's more love for it, I think, these days, I think, than, than oh, it used to be. It's yeah. hugely underrated movie, hugely underrated movie. And that's because, you know, the boss fight, there is no boss fight. When right. the Hulk's raging at the end, he's sort of in a weird torment because this whole movie has been about forgetting identity and discovery and how the nuclear testing and how he's sort of tortured. And as, he, as he's raging at the end in yeah. this sort of weird vortex, it's a sort of spiritual battle with himself. And there's this beautiful um, uh, Elfman cue, obviously why well, it's Elfman cue, the whole score's Elfman, of course. Um, uh, and you know, the score that started with like, I don't know if you can hear this. Okay. 
and that cue you heard of it, you start hearing around that and it's like this is a spiritual climax yes. not an action an action climax. whereas the hulk after that with um uh oh what's his name edward norton thank you is you know i'm not knocking it but it's a different one in which there's a yes. even more enormous creature that and they have to like bash the crap out of each other right, right, and right. i love ang lee's approach because it's more like that the the actual filmmaking climax of the film is not a physical fight it's obviously the hulk is raging and being sure. physical but it's actually to do with sort of um inner conflict and um i i liked how that cue under the blood red sun instead of like because we've had a lot of action in this movie that final fight uh i was really happy that joe and anthony were happy to have like this other approach to the fight where that ghost in the machine dna that showed up in the piano at the beginning of the suite now gets a sort of almost slow semi not balletic but i don't know what the word would be sort of slightly time stretched yeah. um van if such an adjective exists um way of approaching that ghost in the machine material and it just makes for a slightly different kind of a climax in the same way that the Ang Lee climax of the Hulk is not the same as the two mighty creatures smashing the crap out of each other exactly. climax. Yeah, and, and I, I think I, I appreciated um, the opportunity to do that. So those two, yeah, I'd say the Prague sequence and the Under the Blood Red Sun sort of six almost introverted uh, fight climax that, that takes a slightly different turn and meant that i could pay off the ghost in the machine dna rather than the action yeah uh, or like the, because, the yeah. bombastic it wasn't the bombastic theme it was the ghost in the machine theme that got used for the for that piece and it's a, uh, it's i mean congratulations on the film and and it's such a you know it's just amazing i just love watching you and, and and anthony and joe work together and you guys created such an awesome fun you know action film but it also has character and depth and nuance and stuff like that so and it must i mean it's a it's a beast of a movie and uh so it's uh, i'm sure it's it's a that's a nice sigh of relief when something like that is done and uh so but it, it seems like looking looking ahead uh i, I know you have a you're a new dad so you're, i'm sure your plate you're trying to maybe keep your plate less full these days but do you have anything in the works coming up are you going to take some time off i now, do or? yeah no, there's something I, I think people haven't quite been keeping up on IMDb, but I can't mention there is something that I am uh, literally in the middle of right now that I was okay. happy to stop to do this wonderful interview that is the exact opposite of Grey Man, and it's the full and luxuriant use of the symphony orchestra, and it's got more influence from sort of Debussy, Strauss and Szymanowski, although I'm a poor man's version of any of those three. Um, <laughs> And a million miles away from all that six months of engineering and distorted breakbeats or anything like that. Um, but I won't mention what it is. We will talk about it, it you know, if you're so inclined at a later date, because I never know what I'm allowed. I'll probably get, I'll put my foot in my mouth and say the wrong of thing. And get the... Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll keep it secret till it's uh, good to, uh, to announce. And uh, uh, Henry, I, I just want to, you know, we've, we covered so much, uh, you know, as we always do. And it's always such a pleasure to chat with you. And, and uh, I know you're busy right now. So thank you so much for taking the time out of your day. And uh, and uh yeah thanks again i mean we'll have to do this again soon i know we we took a we haven't chatted since uh uh it's been a while it's been a few years i think so we should... yeah <laughs> well, we'll, well, well i'm we'll, always we'll, happy to yeah we'll, we'll keep the gaps uh, smaller smaller next time but uh yeah thank you so much for for your time thank you i look uh, forward to the next one <laughs>